Hi everyone and welcome to Teeth and Tales. I'm your host Dr. Shadi Manicheri and today's episode is with the wonderful Dr. Jana Denzel and in this episode we talk about Jana's experience with studying dentistry abroad in Valencia, Spain and also his recent role as the clinical director of Manchester Imaging Limited. Jana is currently working on AI in dentistry and in this episode we talk about what the latest advances are in that area and we also talk about advice to young dentists um, in a world where you have to have Instagram. I am very excited to announce that this episode is very kindly sponsored by Enlighten. You may have seen me rave about them on my social media channels. I get so many questions about teeth whitening, which brand I recommend and how I personally whiten my teeth. And the answer to all those questions is Enlighten. What's really special about Enlighten is that they guarantee a B1 shade. For those of you that don't know, B1 is the brightest natural shade of teeth that we have. And the great thing is that there are no dietary or lifestyle changes with Enlighten. So you can continue to drink your coffee and still whiten your teeth, which was the biggest selling point for me personally. For more information about Enlighten, please check out my social media. And now without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hi, Jana. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm great, Shadi. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure. Could you just start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, what you do and how you got here, please? Sure. Okay. So my name is Dr. Jana Denzel. I'm a dentist uh, born and raised in London, UK, and I work here as well. Uh, At the moment, I'm practicing about three to four days a week, and I'm also working with an AI company for the rest of the time. That's nice and succinct and to the point. (laughs) So when did you graduate? I graduated in 2019. I actually studied abroad in Valencia, Spain. Um, I did my VT year, um, NHS uh, Foundation Dental Program, and then now kind of transitioned to private practice. Okay, so you've you've qualified relatively recently. What was studying um, dentistry abroad in Valencia like? We've had we've done an episode uh, with studying dentistry abroad, but that's in Sweden. Um, yeah, so we haven't had anyone from Valencia. I do know someone studying in Valencia right now, but no graduates as such. So tell us a little bit, a little bit about that. How did you decide to study dentistry there? Oh wow. Okay, so my journey started, I think, from. When I was here in London, UK, I initially applied for the industry here after my A-levels. Um, I got two offers from Queen Mary's in Manchester. Uh, one was AAB and one was ABB. The Manchester one was slightly lower. I ended up getting AAC for my first time around. So I just missed my QM offer by grade, just by a few marks, but I got my Manchester offer. They were happy to accept me. However, I really like London and living in London and really wanted to study in London. So I really thought to myself, hey, you know what, I, I can get this C to an A. And I actually did four A levels at the time. And um, bad decision by me because I ended up getting three A's and a B. When you reset, as you know, you need all A's, right? So I missed that oh, opportunity. I so I went to go study biology with psychology at Queen Mary University of London. And then after that, my offers were kind of limited. So I looked abroad and uh, a great place I sought to study was Valencia, Spain, right by the beach. Um, the campus looked great, the environment looked great, and just then the tuition fee transitioned from around 3000 to 9000 So actually studying abroad was more feasible for me. So I went to go study there, 
the course I was in was actually uh, English to Spanish course. So in the first year they do it in English, but then they transition to having your exams, your lectures, everything wow. in Spanish. So it was a bit difficult initially, but I had some summer schools where I stayed there. I always had a job as well, working in restaurants and retail and pretty much most things you could do there. So I really learned Spanish when I was at working in school and stuff. So managed to be able to get along all right. Uh, and then, yeah, graduated in 2019. The um, course was difficult because studying and doing your essay questions in a completely different language you didn't know before was pretty hard. Um, but the whole kind of environment and the community over there was really nice. Wow, because I mean, like studying dentistry is hard enough as it is if you speak the language. I can't imagine doing another language. And this is actually what we spoke about in the previous episode of studying dentistry abroad, is that it's one thing speaking the language, like speaking Spanish, just like to friends, family, but technical, medical, dental, scientific um, Spanish or a, a different language is completely different. And it's actually quite difficult. I speak two languages. Um, and I can't speak in my Farsi, I can't speak medical or dental at all. So it's very, very difficult. And also you have to not only learn the, the terms, the technical terms, but you actually have to communicate with patients as well. It's not just a case of um, do your lectures, write your essays. You actually have to speak to people and convey, convey a message. So how did you find that? I know you, you've, you did everything you could to learn the language, but was it extremely difficult or was it manageable? For me, particularly, it, it was difficult. I'm not sure how other people found it. We have some Italians in the course who, where their languages aren't too different, so it was okay for them. Uh, for me, I did find it difficult, um, especially the essay questions. Um, a lot of revision went into it. Um, and one of the things I found even more difficult than learning everything in Spanish uh, was coming back to the UK and doing my foundation year or my yes, terminology. Yes, of course. So sometimes my ES would look over my notes and he'd be like, what, what, what is that? <laughs> oh, yeah, in Spanish, my bad. I have to change and kind of relearn dentistry back again yeah. in English terminology, right? So um, it was difficult, but um, with it, like, you know, it gives me a different skill that I don't have many Spanish patients now, but when I do, I can speak to them in Spanish. Um, I've done a few, like, in you know, YouTube videos with other dentists from, from Mexico and stuff like that, all wow. in Spanish. So uh, it, it brings a different audience in. But um, I would have much preferred to have done it in English. <laughs> yeah, of course, it would have been easier. What was the quality of life like and the student life there? Because you did an undergraduate course here before you went abroad. So what was the student life like? I imagine it was a lot nicer than, than being here. Um, um, so for me, um, I, I come from the, you know, just a, kind of a working class family. So when I went there, I always had to work as well. So uh, whenever I finished university, um, I used to work in a store called Hollister here in Westfield. So luckily enough, they were able to transfer me through the Valencia store there. Oh, wow, so I okay. Working in retail there, um, as well as retail, there was a restaurant called Black Chili that I used to work in. And then from then as well, I did used to work in bars and nightclubs with this guy called We Are Valencia. So it's kind of the community that organized events. So I worked all the time as well. So um, it was good. Um, working and student life isn't always easy, um, but I really enjoyed working, um, not particularly in a restaurant because we had to do like the nitty gritty scrubbing toilets, fish mm. and stuff okay. that way. But uh, they were working at Hollister and working at like you know the, the different bars and stuff was really cool. I kind of embraced you into the student nightlife there as well, and it was kind of you know cool for me and my friends as well because when I was working in the clubs, I could kind of get my friends all in, <laughs> and stuff. Uh, 
So that part of it was really fun. You don't really see that much in, in the UK. Well, yeah. that's probably because of the weather. Like, you know, over there in the sunny, candy beach clubs and, you know, enjoy yourself. Wow. Have you been to Spain before? I have been to Spain. I haven't been to Valencia. but I've heard very good things about them I've been to Madrid I've been to Barcelona and honestly I think Barcelona I went during around Christmas time just before Covid and the weather was so nice it was very very mild it wasn't cold at all Um, I remember we got an Airbnb and we would have our breakfast out on the balcony because the weather was so nice and this was like a week before Christmas where it was like freezing cold in London yeah Yeah. so that's why I imagine that the student life and just the quality of life would have been so much nicer there um, mm-hmm. And dentistry is difficult. So I think a lot of the time with, with my um, experience, it was very stressful and I spent a lot of time studying and not enjoying myself as much as I wish I had. Yeah. I did get involved with, you know, societies and things like that, sports, but it's different when you're by the beach, you know, it brings a certain level of calm and, you know, it, it grounds you a little bit. So I, I imagine it, it's, it's good. Of course, the, the course is still stressful, but you have more ways of sort of calming down your anxieties and stresses definitely for sure yeah yeah Yeah. and you know working as a student um I always get a lot of questions from students asking about advice of what they should do I would 100% recommend working I worked um like you're saying I worked throughout my studies it was only during final year that I had to quit because I had so many exams and things that I didn't have time for working but um I had a job like a part-time job from the age of 16 so um, during first year, I remember I was working at the Disney store. Oh, wow. <clears throat> yeah. Cool. And I very briefly, though, very briefly. So what I used to do is I used to finish my lectures. So I would have nine to five lectures. And then it would be like from six to 10 in the evening that I would have the shifts at Disney. And obviously mm-hmm. they closed the store at something like seven or eight. And I remember after they closed the store, it was all about manual labor and like stocking up the shelves and everything. And I was like, this is ruining the magic of Disney for me. So I left very soon after starting. Um, but it was, it was a good experience. But I think with with a job like dentistry and being a dentist, you're you're dealing with people all the time. So if you can have a job where it's people facing, like working in a restaurant, like working in retail, I think it really, really helps prepare you in dealing with people, speaking with people, teamwork. And 100%, I think a lot of the skills that I use now day to day to speak to people, manage people, I learned during my job, not during my university course. So I always recommend working if you can, you get a bit of extra pocket money and you learn all these skills that you need to have as a dentist. So definitely a fan. Yeah, definitely agree with that. I was just literally on the speaking to, to payment um, on this yeah. dental podcast this morning. And one of the questions he asked was, you know, how are you, where do you get your networking skills from? How are you able to talk to people? And I was like, literally, as like you said, working. That brings you like you know you're far more confident because when you're working you have to go up to you know customers and talk to them and network not network like you know liaise with them and stuff like that so when yeah. you're doing it in the real world networking comes a lot easier yeah and you get to read people you get to understand people I mean they speak about all these like non-verbal cues and body language and things and you really a lot of dentistry this is something I didn't realize until I got a bit more into private dentistry a lot of it is not your clinical skills of course those are important but a lot of it is how you say certain things for example they say if you know if someone comes in for teeth whitening the first thing you do is not to explain the process of teeth whitening you ask them why they're having their teeth whitened it might be that they're they have a wedding they have an event to go to and you have to play on that emotional side rather than the technical so there's a lot of these things that we don't know until you get exposed to it so 
if you do have the background in in speaking to people, dealing with people, I think it really does help you develop as a as a dentist. Of course, no, I completely agree with that. Yeah. So, what was it like when you came back? Because I mean, when when you study dentistry here, obviously you're reminded every day of the process of VT interviews, NHS. You have that on your case, even GDC. Um, I remember speaking to Kunal Patel. And he studied dentistry abroad and he said he was he was different to his colleagues because he didn't have the fear of the GDC because he studied abroad. Whereas here, I think from first year, they drill into you that you have to be mindful of the GDC. Everything you do, the GDC is watching you. And of course, you know, we have to have those professional standards, but I think it instills a, a, a level of fear in us um, that stops you from doing certain things. But what what did you feel it was like for you studying abroad? Were you aware of the GDC or the NHS, for example, and the structure of VT and things once you'd graduated? Yeah, as in when I graduated, um, what I, uh, before I graduated, we obviously had to study for the same NHS foundation scheme, interview and SJT test. For a minute, you need to know what all the kind of guidelines and principles of the GDCR. are. So I did kind of research and I studied them. Um, thankfully, I scored well and I got the the, the place I wanted to do my vocational training in. And when I went there, my ears kind of really did drill into me, look, these are the principles, like, you know, when it comes to like note-taking or kind of the treatments provided, you have to follow these set list of rules. Um, we never did amalgam fillings in, in Valencia, Spain. So that was new to me to, to be able to go out and do. And uh, I think you just put a bit more emphasis on note-keeping and note-taking mm. because Know that litigation here in the UK is something that you always have to stay on top of. So a lot of people you shouldn't notes shouldn't be for that purpose, but a lot of people like always make sure you document everything that's happened in, in your notes, because if anything does happen, you've got yourself and your your clinic covered by having proper conciseness to what's going on. Yeah, and and how did you find the NHS compared to what's the system like in Spain? Do they have a a public system and a private system or? Yeah, yeah, we have that as well. As a student, like, you know, we were able to treat patients who couldn't afford the best industry to a lot of lower price and discounted for them. So, you know, we were able to do kind of complex cases as well, where we didn't charge any money for children and for older patients was very little as well. Coming into the NHS system was a bit different because we don't have that banding system there. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of like, you know, per, per treatment, you pay for what you do. Um, over here, the banding system was good. I do remember like, you know, when I first read about it and got into it, um, it has its pros and cons, but when I, uh, I put a little post out on Instagram of the NHS banding system, and I had so many dentists who like, you know, commented, DM'd me saying, look, this, this is not a great system that we should be publicizing to the public. Um, like, you know, oh, I see. It's, 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 it's not good to put this information out there because, you know, for example, with a band three, you could do, you know, X amount of crowns and the patient only pays just one, one fee. Yeah. doesn't really cover the dentist's time or even lab bills in some case. So that was when I posted my VT. Yeah. So when I, I kind of, you know, in retrospect, I, I learned and well, I was like, okay, you know what? This isn't something that we probably should be putting out to our to our patients as such. And maybe we should talk to the NHS authorities to kind of maybe change the banding system um, to see how it benefit both patients and dentists. Mm -hmm. Speaking of your Instagram, you're obviously very active on social media and you have actually won Best Young Dentist this year. Congratulations for that. I feel like we should have get, said this in your intro, but it, we've eased into it. So congratulations. Tell me about your social media and how it all started and, and, and where it came from. 
Okay, so social media is something I started quite a long time ago when I was here. I did my, I did my undergraduate in, in biology and psychology. And when I was working in Hollister, a lot of people who I was working in retail with, um, like, you know, into fashion, they're doing modeling and stuff. So they were sitting to one of these events. And um, so many people I, I worked with, you might have heard of a brand called Trapstar in London. Um, there's one called Trapstar, one called Michael Spinelli. So uh, at my university show at the Civil War Theatre, we had some people, kind of students, who kind of modeled their clothes for them and stuff, and I really got into it. And me and one of my friends who was really successful with clothing lines decided to set up our own clothing line. So with it um, in Valencia, we did events, we did clothing, we worked with influencers in the UK and around the world. And from it, I had my own personal Instagram where uh, I wasn't a huge influencer or anything like that, but I was also kind of posting um, myself, you know, wearing the clothes I made. Um, uh, and all we have it's a pretty big people like Chris Brown, promote and wear our stuff as well. Wow. Superwoman from Canada, um, quite a few influential people. So, from it, I kind of learned how to work Instagram. Mm -hmm. Really, in my final year, um, I had our platform dentistry.co.uk reach out to my personal Instagram so that I was a dentist that, like, you know, was on Instagram. So, I was like, right, let me open up my own one. So I opened up my own one. I don't really post that often because now I have a dental marketing company. We have some of the friends from beforehand. So we work with like, you know, loads of clients throughout the UK and I kind of spend more, 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 more of my time in their social media than myself. But it, it's been a journey and uh, an, an interesting one. Am I right in saying you have a podcast as well? I've seen your podcast and I remember seeing videos of it. And I was like, why am I not a guest on this podcast? That's what I remember thinking. So tell me about your podcast. Yeah, I started the podcast a while ago last year. Um, I, I've got so many episodes recorded on the podcast that I haven't put out yet from Bill Dorfman, Christine Coachman, um, Hugo Madeira from Portugal. Um, I did my first five episodes with like, you know, Mike Epper, Sam Seller, um, Miguel Stanley, Dr. Romani, but I just, I haven't had the time. I don't know how you do it, as in it's, it's a lot of work. Not to, easy, yeah. Yeah, to edit, produce, you know, yeah. everything else. So I did my first five episodes and then after then I'm just sitting on probably another five, six episodes that I've already pre-recorded. So after we put them on, we definitely got to get you on. But yeah, I just, I, just um, I haven't had the time to. to See, <laughs> I think that's the thing. Honestly, that's the thing that I found is you start and when you're passionate about something and getting information out there and being, you know, active. Um, you start on so many projects and then you realize that actually to complete these is so much work and you don't want to spread yourself too thin because you obviously are used to a certain standard, a certain level of quality that you want to put out and you don't just want to put out things for the sake of it. Um, so I think you get bogged down in signing up to so many things, but when it comes to completing them, it, it becomes a struggle and you're absolutely right. Editing the podcast, planning it, there's so much work that goes on behind the scenes. And if you're doing it yourself, it does take up a lot of your time. So the reason why I stopped, for example, as a, as a season one, why I finished it was because I felt at the beginning when I started the podcast, I had so much time, passion, energy to give to it. And it was incredible. And it was very, very well received. When it got towards the end, I felt my own passion had sort of died down for it a little bit. I didn't have as much enthusiasm just because I was doing so much that I didn't have as much time to give to it. Um, and I felt that, you know, that what I was giving to it wasn't 100%. And I hate that. So that's why I stopped. I decided I'm going to take a little break. And, and I didn't even know if season two was going to be a thing. But then so many people reached out to me and I realized I missed it 
because I miss just talking to people, getting to know people. Like I didn't, like obviously I'd seen you and I'd known you, but I didn't, I didn't know you studied in Valencia, you know? <laughs> and and these things, I love finding out stuff about people and people that you see, like dentists that you see on social media, you see this very curated image of them with their achievements and everything. You have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. And I think it's so important to talk about it, to learn from what they've gone through and, and people really appreciate that. So I felt there was value in continuing with the podcast. And that's why after a small break, I realized that I do have the time and attention and, and the passion. And it's all about prioritizing. You know, I realized I'm, I'm now ready to prioritize um, and go for season two. You've done an amazing job of it, hasn't it? You know, season one, it's uh, how you, you know, put it out there. It's been great. So huge congratulations to you. And I'm Thank sure it's going to be even better. Thank you. I, I'm a perfectionist. I remember speaking to Payman about this and he outsources his editing, obviously. Um, so he records episodes and he's churning them out every week. And I was like, how do you do it? And he's like, just leave them unedited for an hour. It's fine. <laughs> and obviously he doesn't have to worry about the editing. I'm sure he, ha he has a lot of other stuff that he's responsible for. So it's fine. Yeah, no, I, I see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I know you're involved with AI artificial intelligence to do with dentistry. Um, I don't know very much about it. And I know that a lot of other people won't as well. So tell us a little bit about what you're doing, because I, I think that's what you're spending the rest of your time other than your clinical dentistry, doing that and focusing on that. And obviously that's a very, very important um, area and is all up and coming. And I'm sure in a few years time, it will be taking over us and robots will be replacing dentists. So tell us a little bit about that. What do you do? Where did your passion come from to do with AI? Sure. So first of all, I do need to say that I, I'm not planning on having AI take over our industry. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> more to be there to make assist us and to make our workflow easier. I think it's, you know, when we see these movies like iRobot and you know, Terminator and stuff, we always get this perception that AI is going to kind of replace us and take over the world essentially. But, you know, I, I, I haven't seen anything like that so far. So <laughs> I don't think he's going to come Never to say it. never. <laughs> but I don't think it's going to come to the industry anytime soon. Um, so the concept of AI has been around for years, right? So um, I think we first saw it at IBM, they, they invented like a computer that they had played the world champion chess player and beat the chess player. And then everyone was like, wow, what is this thing? AI, AI. So from it kind of developed, you know, you see, it with like you know, facial recognitions from the iPhone now. We have Elon Musk doing these um, self-driving cars that are going to be soon coming out. So I always felt was, you know, what can we do to bring this into our profession, into dentistry, and to help us uh, make our workflows easier, provide a better service to our patients? So as a dental student, when I had all these ideas going on, um, I was doing a treatment plan for one of my patients in the clinic. And I had one of my professors come over, look over the radiographs, look over my treatment plan and kind of, you know, get his confirmation and approval to go ahead with it. And he looked at the radiographs and he actually spotted some stuff and was like, hey, how about this, 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 and slightly altered my treatment plan. And I was like, oh, wow, okay, I didn't see that there. Like, you know, wait, thanks for letting me know. And then uh, the next day, uh, another professor came back and was like, hey, what are you doing? Let me see what you're doing. I showed him the x-rays and stuff. And then he changed his treatment plan. He was like, no, 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 actually this, this, and that. And then I realized there's inconsistencies with dentists reading radiographs and treatment planning. And maybe something that I um, diagnose and treatment plan might not be the same as someone else who's diagnosing and treatment planning. So this inconsistency and our kind of own subjectivity to what we diagnose and what we determine as a treatment planning is, you know, is, is not great for the patient because we should have 
a standard set of diagnosis when a radiograph comes up, we should all be able to spot what's wrong with it and diagnose and treatment plan accordingly, right? So what I decided to do and set out from when I noticed that happening in clinics as a student was, I was thinking to myself, wouldn't it be cool if we could create something that automatically diagnoses radiographs for us accurately, consistently, and without the subjectivity of our emotions or how we're feeling or what we're thinking, right? Or just kind of facts of what is a class one caries, how can we diagnose it, and you know, what can we formulate a treatment plan from and give the different options of doing so. So what I went and set out to do was initially have a large kind of data bank of den different dental radiographs, right? So I did this at university and reaching out to different dentists who have their own dental clinics and all. So once I got all of these dental radiographs, I realized to create an algorithm, an artificial intelligence system, you need to have about 2,000 to 20,000 x-rays uh, of one signal, single abnormality. So for example, a class one caries, I need to find 2,000 pictures of a class one caries and feed it into the machine um, and have you know, it ex expertly annotated. So when I have these 2000 x-rays, I need to find like, you know, people who have been in the game for a long time. So, so far I've had kind of expert professors who are dental maxillofacial surgeons who just spend all time looking at radiographs, diagnosing and finding out what's wrong to be able to annotate it 2000 times, feed it into the machine. This is what a class one carries is. Mm. Anytime you have a radiograph and plug it up onto the system. And if there's any class one carries on it, this system will pick it up automatically for you. Right, you do that with about you know ten different abnormalities. Um, you've got something that's pretty cool here, and that can help you in your workflow. Because if you're seeing, say, like you know, from ten to twenty patients a day, taking radiographs of them, there is a chance that you probably might be able to miss something when you're going through your day. Right. Mm. So, um, developing some developing something like this has taken a long time to do, um, and it's there not to replace our diagnosis. We're not just meant to sit back and have this thing diagnosed for us, but it's meant to give us a second opinion and to highlight the abnormalities that we sometimes may have missed if we're kind of like you know rushing through the day or having off days. Sometimes we have off days. Sometimes we have good days when we're on ball and everything. But it's just meant to really aid you and assist you with your dentistry. It's like when you're playing solitaire and you you press the hints button for it to yeah. help you. <laughs> That's a great analogy. <laughs> yeah, I won't charge you for that bit of information. You can <laughs> you can start using that. That's fine. <laughs> so, what what stage are you at with this with this research and with this technology? Is it still in its development stages, or have you started prototyping and using it? Well, it's it's been a long ride. Say, like, you know, if we're, it's, it's taken longer than twelve months. But like, you know, the initial kind of idea I had was was twelve months. But three months, I'd have the data collection and the data collection of all the X rays. Three months of expert annotating from the like, you know world leading dentists and professors. Only three months to collect two thousand X rays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this wow. was the timeline I set myself. Right. So yeah, it would yeah. obviously a lot longer to be able to do all of this. Um, then had the annotation, and then you do the algorithm training. And then you have to do a clinical study and report to actually see if it's if it's working, if it's better than dentists themselves. Mm -hmm. So we kind of created it and then uh, tested it against real life dentists who are diagnosing and treatment playing a set of x-rays. And we actually found that the clinical the algorithm we built was more consistent, more accurate, more reliable than human dentists diagnosing these x-rays and going forward themselves. So that's when I knew, okay, listen, got my something got myself something great here mm. um worked on it for a while um 
I did apply for these NHS grants that they give this uh, health and care NHS AI awards, but it was more medical than dental ones, right? So I worked for my cousin's company who does medical diagnosis with lung x-rays and brain x-rays um, using CT scans for it. And from it, they was we did the same project, the same thing. Like I worked on the kind of, you know, the whole, the whole we with my cousins and they managed to get the grants, but I didn't. And I was like, what? It's, it's the same thing. How is this yeah, not yeah. Being given to me? And that's when I realized that there's a lack of the NHS or people in general who give importance to our oral health and our dental health than our systemic health. But as you know, as a dentist, there's so many links to our oral Connected, health. Connected, of course, yeah. So I realized there's more studies that need to be done on that. So uh, I recently went to, to Portugal um, to spend some time with Dr. Miguel Stanley, who does biological dentistry and a lot of connecting systemic health to oral health. So I'm going to spend a lot more of my time to be able to bring this out for all our patients to understand. But in turn, that will also push the AI forward because more and more people will understand how big dentistry, important dentistry is, mm. and be able to bring more importance and emphasis on that. And this is something that you're doing as a job. It's not just a hobby. It's actually taking over your half of your working week or, or thereabouts. Yeah. So we're um, on Clubhouse. I, I'm not huge on Clubhouse, but I joined Clubhouse on a on a talk on technology of dentistry. I think it was hosted by Andy, Robbie and Milad, who, who you had on here as well. And I joined it um, with Ben Atkins sorry, as well. And I joined it and they were talking about AI and dentistry. And I started speaking about it. I'm like, you know, I've, I've been in this space for a very long time, since 2017. Um, talk with them, networked with a guy called Ben Atkins. Um, ben Atkins introduced me to the Manchester Dental School, where I think he was tutoring at. And there was a professor there called Professor Hugh Devlin. Um, he's like an international world researcher, written so many books, so many people have read some of his books as well. And he was the clinical director of a, of a group he made called Manchester Imaging LTD. And they worked with the dental school and uh, the, the imaging science departments as well to create something initially that I had my prototype based on. So I had a meeting with their CEO, um, kind of spoke to him about my background and he was talking to me about his background and Hugh Devlin, who was the clinical director, was actually retiring. So they were looking at dentists from the UK and around the world to fill in his role. So it was rounds and rounds of interviews and I had to kind of show them all the work I've done to date. But then luckily they were like, you know, I think it was just the start of the year. I think you were the first person I actually told. Yeah, that, I uh, remember. It was all hush-hush. Yeah, hush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Got the role of clinical director and it's amazing because you know i'm in i'm in this room where everyone has decades of experience you know ben atkins has been in the game for so long um there's a guy called craig tony um tom all of these guys have been in the industry for so mm -hmm. long to be able to be in a team and work with these guys on a day-to-day -day basis is, is great because you know yeah. i'm i'm always bringing my a game i have to be when i'm working yeah. with these guys but it's, it's been a journey and i think you've got a great team now that can really bring this AI technology we have to dental schools and dentists across the UK as well. Great. Honestly, a huge congratulations because not only is it difficult to, to do these things, but I think what I found in the past is that people have certain preconceptions about you depending on your level of qualification, age, stage that you're at. Sometimes people dismiss you just because they think you're very fresh, you're very new and you don't have as much experience. But actually that can sometimes be a positive thing because you don't have, it shows that if you have that experience in that small amount of time, it goes to show just how proactive you are. Um, and if anything, I think being fresh and being new 
you have so many new skills that people with years and years of experience might not have. So I think that's incredible. And I think you need to work doubly, triply, quadruply hard to get a role like this, even when when you're fresh out of dental school as you are. So huge congratulations. And I'm very excited to see what's in store next, because that sounds, that sounds really, really exciting. But also, obviously, a lot of work, a lot of x-rays, lots and lots of thousands of x-rays. Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's been a journey and a long one. And I think, like, you know, like, like you said, like, for example, Ben Atkins, he's, he's, he's done so well from, you know, just tutoring the charities and uh, his own, like, you know, 11 dental clinics, sold it to a corporate group with a lot of experience in the industry. And every time we can sit down and talk with each other, there's always disagreements between us two. Like, you know, um, he challenges me, I challenge him. Uh, we both kind of learn together and stuff. So I think, you know, the, like you said, yes, I don't have the experience that Ben has, but being able to be someone who's kind of really proactive, really on the ball, really up to date with this new AI and technology and stuff, I bring kind of a different kind of qualities into the team as he does. So putting them both together and stuff, I really feel like, you know, it's, it's a great team to be a part of. We always end this, I mean, always as in from second season onwards. Um, we end this with the advice you would give to either young dentists currently who are trying to find themselves and what they're about, because I think right now is a much more difficult, you're of this cohort of the social media, Instagram dentists. When I qualified, there was no such thing. So there wasn't that much pressure on me from a social media point of view of seeing what everybody is going through and feeling like I'm not adequate, feeling left out if you're not doing something incredible in addition to dentistry. What would be your advice to young dentists who might be sitting there thinking they're not doing enough or they don't know what they want to do? Because dentistry, as it is, is hard enough. But I feel like there's this expectation now that you have to be doing all these other things. You know, what would be your advice to to those? So I I recently gave a talk to the Oxford uh, Dental Scheme for Foundation Dentists. And one of these questions, you know, advice for them and stuff. Is, is social media something that they need to have? Do they need to be branding and marketing themselves when they come out of university? Is a ball game like that now? And I say, look, you don't need to have Instagram or social media as you know, I'm sure you'd agree from it, right? Um, th- there's so many great dentists who, who don't have social media and you know they have all their patients from word of mouth because of the amazing jobs they do. Um, my advice for dentists is, you know, spend the foundation year if, if you haven't done that yet, is where you kind of really learn dentistry out in the real world aside from dental school and in it you do have experience and from it you can understand what you like about dentistry and what you don't like about dentistry if that year you realize what you want to do great you can go out and specialize in it if not you know we also have that dental core training as well and there's different kind of areas that you can experiment in until you found your niche now when it comes to social media it definitely helps when you're doing private practice um, it's an income um, sorry it's a source of income that you can get from private patients DMing you I'm going around that route. For me, I graduated in 2019. Uh, I only give my clinical cases to like, you know, when I'm applying for awards or to other dentists or showing my patients myself. I don't think I'm the clinically best dentist out there. You know, when I have people like, you know, Mike Lapa, Sam Selam, McGraw Stanley and stuff on my page, I want to ensure that my work is at their level before I start posting my cases out because I'm still learning every day. So I think, look, you don't need to... Um, you don't really need to have social media. You don't need to be posting your cases, but you can. I see some young dentists who are posting their cases from their foundation year and how they're improving step by step. Like, you know, they still have their mistakes and they still carry on, right? So for me, 
I didn't go down that route because I'm, I'm, I, I like to see myself as a perfectionist. I really want to get things perfect before I'm able to put them out there. So I'm sure you do, like, you know, with your podcast, you want to make sure the quality 100% is as good as it can mm-hmm. get. So I'm still always kind of striving for that. But my advice for younger dentists is take your time, find out what you're truly passionate in. You don't need to have social media, but you can have it. And it does help with, you know, your, your private dentistry route if you want to go down. Yeah. And building a brand like you've done for yourself like Charlie, you're amazing on tiktok instagram done the whole Thank social you. media brand so like you know i'm sure you get the patients from your social media and can say to younger dentists how good it is of a source for patients i've spoken to dentists here in the uk i get literally nearly 99 percent of their their dentists from from instagram and stuff so it is a good platform to have but only when you realize what you want to do and specialize in i think yeah, no, honestly, I completely agree with you. I think, first of all, there are hundreds of thousands of dentists out there who don't have social media and they are incredibly successful. You know, I, like there, there are, even in this day and age, there are dentists out there who don't even have a website because everything comes from word of mouth. Honestly, like dental practices in Harley Street, there are still some of them that don't have uh, websites because they just don't have the capacity to take on new patients because they're already so busy. So don't feel like, you're left out because you don't have social media. Okay. So that's number one. And also the first thing is just graduate and get good at your job because that's the bare minimum of what we all need to do, but it gets overlooked because you get so preoccupied by all this extra stuff that you need to do. And then secondly, as you rightly said, I think find out what you like and what you're about. So some dentists out there who are live living, breathing, eating, sleeping, clinical dentistry of like crown margins, rubber dams and all of that. If that's what you like and that's what you're passionate about, fair enough. That's what you should do and that's what you should post and that's your thing. For someone like you, that's not your thing. For someone like me, that's not my thing. And at the beginning, I when I started TikTok, for example, I feel like there was a bit of judgment. There was a bit of negative connotation associated with TikTok because everyone felt it wasn't a professional platform to be on. It Everyone felt like it was a platform for teenagers to be dancing around. But actually, a lot of my patients come from TikTok. And a lot of what I've been able to achieve has come from being on TikTok. I think if I had just done Instagram, I wouldn't have been able to do what I've done because that was something that was different when I started. I realized I didn't want to be like everybody else. I wanted to do something different and I wanted to do something that I like. You know, a lot of people don't like TikTok and they're good at Instagram, for example. A lot of people are clinically excellent, but their personalities might not be as extroverted, you know, in videos, for example. Um, so I think it's about finding your strength, finding your passion. Don't be afraid to be different because uh, everybody else is doing something else and you're not. Because eventually, that that very thing, like when I started TikTok, none of the dent, no no dentist, there was no dentist that I know, at least not in the UK community, that was doing TikTok. And now a lot of them are. Okay, so even though at the beginning they didn't feel like that was the right platform, over time that's developed. And I'm sure that was the same with Instagram. When people like Rona started 10 years ago, there weren't very many dentists on Instagram and now you almost have to be on Instagram. So don't be afraid of doing something different uh, and just stay true to what you are and don't don't try and compare yourself to others. I know it's, it's very easy. It's much easier said than done. Uh, but honestly, you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Like you don't know that you you have to get 20,000 x-rays before you have to do the study. Like we don't know these things, you know, the, the background of what's going on is actually so much different to what you see on the surface. Of course, of course. I think everyone has their own journeys. And like you said, comparison is a theft of joy. You yeah. just stay in lane, like, you know, be humble, stay true to what you really believe in. And uh, you go flying like you have, like, you know, your, your, your TikTok 
Like I never even heard of TikTok until I heard of you. And then I went <laughs> TikTok. Like, what is TikTok? And I posted out and I was like, wow, this is this is amazing and this is great. And uh, I think you set the trend for all of the UK dentists to, to hop on it now. <laughs> but I enjoy it, you know. I feel like if you enjoy something, it comes across and it comes naturally to you. Um, and that's what you have to find. You have to find your passion because if you're forcing yourself to do something, you're not going to do it. You know, again, like with the podcast, when it became a struggle, when it be- became difficult, I just made that decision to take a break. And that's important to do. Um, and, and you're going to reevaluate everything in your life as you go along. Your circumstances change, your commitments change, your priorities change. And that, that's OK. You know, it's life. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Jana. It's been an incredible episode. Thank you so much. I'm really humbled to be on. And, you know, got a great podcast, so keep it up. I'm definitely going to be in tune. really hope you've enjoyed this episode and hopefully learned a few things I know I certainly did and as always don't forget to let me know what you thought of this episode you can reach out to me on Instagram at Dr Shadi Manucheri I always love hearing your responses and if you have any requests for future podcast episodes please let me know there I do usually listen if there are specific requests that are quite popular as always there will be a new episode every week so please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and never miss an episode and I can't wait to speak to you soon.